The June narrator's theme is Periods, with a show in San Diego at Tiger Tiger Tavern on June 12th and in Denver at Bumport Theater June 20th. Come on down and say hi. In addition, the narrators will be at the Denver Zine Fest from 10 to 6 on Saturday, June 24th. The event is free. You can find more information at denverzinelibrary.org. Next storyteller. All right, next storyteller. It's next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. Our story today comes from Michael Madden, an actor, director, producer, and writer in San Diego's local theater scene. He told this story live at Tiger Tiger Tavern last month. The theme of the evening was Rocking the Boat. I don't know when my father died. I mean, I should have because I was there in St. Louis when he did. But when somebody asked me the other day about my father, I realized I didn't really know the exact date when he died or even the month or even the year. And I realized that that was pretty symbolic of the relationship that my father and I did or more accurately didn't have. We never got along ever. You know, we never played catch in the backyard. We never talked about girls. He never slipped me money when I was on my way out the door for a date. Never talked about school or my future. Never went to my games. Never gave anybody any allowance or even acknowledgement for all the endless things you did around the house. Because after all, you live here too. You know, my, my, my father said stuff like that to people, but back then, you really couldn't resent it because we were part of the generation that was raised to be seen and not heard. You know, you were told, keep your head down, nose the grindstone, don't rock the boat. And, you know, parents didn't give a shit if you liked them. You know, and, and they certainly didn't care if you, they, like, hurt your feelings because they, were all, they all grew up in the Depression which they constantly referenced, you know, and they would tell you that they were so, would have been so glad and grateful just to have one piece of moldy bread to, to, to split among 12 people. And, and they all walked miles to school, you know, generally uphill both ways, you know, sometimes barefoot in the snow. And, you know, how dare we, could we ever complain? My father was kind of sullen and angry almost all the time. Not to my sainted mother, but definitely to myself and my sisters <coughs> and my friends. We would kind of walk around eggshells around him, and my mother would run interference for us. But when other people came over, like adults and, and other family members, he just came alive. You know, he was the life of the party. He sang and he danced and he made everybody smile and laugh. And, you know, he's even kind. And, and, and my sisters and I would look at him and go, who is that? You know, where's dad? And then when everybody would leave and we'd be cleaning up, he'd be all sullen and distant. And we'd go, yeah, there he is. And, and it was really confusing. So I'm going to tell you two stories about my dad. First story, it's 1968. And my generation and I have been rocking the boat a lot. And my father and I's relationship is the worst it's ever been. And I'm in my parents' kitchen with three fraternity brothers who are going to take me back to school. And I want to get out of there. And that's hard because my mom's cherry pie is incredible and she's charming as hell. But my dad's not there. And I don't know where he is and I don't care. But I only know that if he gets back before I leave, somehow he's going to embarrass me. That is a given. 
Now these three guys are like the golden boys in my class. They're rich and they're cool and they're well placed in the social hierarchy, you know, things that I wasn't at all. So I almost get them to the safety of the front door and I hear a car in the driveway. And then I hear a car door slam. Oh good, he's home. And he's already in a car door slamming mood. <laughs> so we're waiting there and in a couple minutes, the door opens. And even I'm shocked, because it's not just my dad. It's my six foot, 250 pound, barrel chested dad, dressed up in a vibrant, colorful, head to toe, full bodied clowns costume. <laughs> He's got the floppy shoes, the big red nose. He got the full bozo wig. He's got the baggy pants, the classic clown makeup. He's even got the little squirt flower thing. You know, my dad used to do these different gigs to like Santa Claus and things like that to bring in money to our woefully underfunded household. But even I'd never seen him in a clown's costume. Well, what do most people do when they see a clown? They laugh. And boy, did these guys laugh. In fact, these guys laughed so long and so hard that eventually my father realized they were probably laughing at him and not with him. And that important prepositional distinction was not lost on Bill Madden. And he suddenly went into a very loud and very aggressive rant about how dare you come into a man's home and make fun of him when he's just trying to put bread on the table? And who the hell do you think you are? You're a rich kid. You probably never worked a day in your life. And you all have ashamed yourself and on and on and on. Now, these guys are watching this clown go off on him, which just made him laugh even harder, which just made my dad madder. And to say that I merely hated my dad at that moment would be a massive understatement. So I was finally shoving them out the door into the car. We went back to campus where for at least a month I was clown boy. Second story. It's a Friday afternoon in 1998. My father's been dead for a couple years and in the intervening 30 years, I'd made various attempts with various amounts of enthusiasm to connect with him, not ever successfully. I thought maybe after I had kids, we'd be able to connect a little bit more, but we never did talk about anything of substance or, or, or depth. I was there to watch the opening weekend of the war, World War II war movie, Saving Private Ryan. It's a very difficult movie to watch. And two different men got up in the first 20 minutes to leave. I was in Vietnam for 365 days. My father was in World War II for four years. I was an Air Force coding and decoding expert who was mostly the back of the lines. My father was a frontline army medic who was in the invasion of North Africa, Italy, and Germany. Yeah. Who, who here has seen Saving Private Ryan? Okay, like the first 20 minutes are to me the most exact replication of the horrors of war that, that there are. You know, it, the movie's not like a video game war where you shoot somebody, they blow up, they disappear, they come back. And it's certainly not like the World War II black and white movies I grew up on, where somebody gets shot, they grab a bloodless wound, they fall, and they manage to eke out whatever words of irony or inspiration are in the script before they slowly 
and quietly die. No, this is the war movie. This is the fucking war movie. You see men's arms and legs completely blown off. You see men unsuccessfully trying to hold in bloody intestines from a gaping stomach wound. You see and feel bodies and faces shredded by endless metal projectiles. You hear men and boys scream out in agony and terror as they call out for their mothers or their gods or their medic. If they can call out at all, it's the worst thing ever. Medics wear a white armband with a red cross on it to signify to the enemy that they're non-combatant so that they're more safely able to move among the dying and wounded. But of course, in a war, that's not the way it plays out. If anything, the enemy usually tries to kill the medic first so more wounded people die. I watched for the next two hours Giovanni Ribisi, who played the medic, have to do incredibly heroic and horrific medic things. My dad wasn't a doctor. He was a paint salesman. You know, he, he, he probably had six weeks of training. You know, when I was watching this, I realized that my father spent four years of his very young life holding the dying and shattered bodies of people. Four years looking into faces filled with agony and fear while he tried to console and comfort them and tried to let them know that everything was going to be okay when he knew that it wasn't. He must have felt so incredibly helpless and he must have felt very, very angry too. And knowing that he went through all that, we should have been so grateful that he wasn't an alcoholic or a, or a, or a drug addict or he didn't beat us all the time. You know, a couple of months ago, I saw that the movie was on again and I tried to watch it and I only got about 10 minutes through it and I had to turn it off. But it really got me to thinking. And if you ever talk to somebody that's been in a war, I mean, in the war, they'll tell you that these incredible and heroic acts of bravery are not done for things like patriotism or quaint notions like mom and apple pie. They are done to protect and save your fellow soldiers who literally become your family out there. And I think when you lose so many of that family and it happens right in front of you and in your arms, I believe that you probably hold back loved ones from you for the rest of your life just in case you lose them too. And that was my father. He was great with strangers, but not so good with loved ones. But that's okay, because it finally made sense. Sorry, Dad, I love you. The Narrators is produced by Robert Rutherford, Mary Robertson, Aaron Rollman, and me, Ron Doyle. Our assistant producer is Sydney Crane. Our theme music is by Whalehawk. And our founder and executive producer is Andrew Orvidal. A very special thanks to our amazing sponsors, Illegal Pete's, Sexy Pizza, From the Hip Photo, and Renegade Brewing Company. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. 
and join us at one of our live monthly shows, which take place every second Tuesday of the month at Tiger Tiger Tavern in San Diego, California, and every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. Both shows start at 8 p.m. and are always free to attend. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter, and for past episodes, photos from our live shows, and a list of our upcoming events and themes, please visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening.